Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. Right, good evening. Appreciate y'all coming tonight. Um, as I was studying for this lesson, it occurred to me that I've actually stood on this stage once before in my lifetime. And that was August 22nd, 1987. That was the day Hal Andrews married Crystal and I. So, guess what? I'm feeling about the same tonight as I did then. (laughs) (laughs) The fear, the nervousness, the excitement that I had almost 36 years ago is here tonight. (laughs) But... My prayer to you tonight is that the next 35 minutes will go as well as the last 35 years has. All right. Didn't mean to get emotional the first minute, but anyway. I'm going to ask you a question to start off. I'm a teacher. I'm not a preacher, so I like interaction. I like talking. I'm not going to ask you anything hard. It's all going to be easy stuff. 99% of the time, I already know the answer before I ask it. I'm just asking it for fun. But who in here has ever raised a garden in their lifetime? Raise your hand if you've ever had a garden. That's going to be most everybody, isn't it? We're in Willis County. It's a rural area. Um, People my age and older, your parents and your grandparents probably had to raise a garden just for survival, didn't they? Large families. There wasn't Walmarts. There wasn't food lines. I mean, you had to raise a garden, fruits, vegetables, and and can to survive the winter, didn't you? Now we just do it for hobbies, for fun. At my house, even though I live in town, I'm basically doing it to feed the wildlife. You know, because I've got deer. I had a raccoon walk by me two nights ago. I just waved at it, and he just waved, we kept it going. Uh, tonight we're going to study some scripture that's going to talk about what ingredients are needed to have to make a successful spiritual garden. So if you will, if you'll turn with me into Matthew chapter 13 we'll start out I'm going to read the first eight nine verses there'll be some other verses later on that will I'll tie into it to kind of when Jesus starts explaining stuff but a very familiar passage the the parable of the sower all of you's heard this but I enjoy this and it it's simple but it makes a lot of sense it makes makes you have to think so Matthew 13 chapter 13 verse 1 says that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach and he told them many things in parables saying a sower went out to sow and as he sowed some seeds fell on the path and the birds came and devoured them other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. You know, he who has ears, let him hear. So at this point, Jesus had already started irritating the Jewish leadership. 
They were already getting mad at him. He was doing stuff they wouldn't. So at this point, especially in Matthew 13, I think there's around seven parables just in chapter 13, this being the first. So at this point, he really started using parables a lot more to, to teach those that want to be taught, the ones that want to listen. So I know we most everybody knows what a parable is, but a parable is just a simple story that's used to illustrate a moral or a spiritual lesson. This being back at Jesus' time, there wasn't a lot of different industry, were they? <laughs> you basically had shepherds or you had farmers, and that's about it. There wasn't a whole lot, you know, maybe some wood craftsmanship, but he would use something that everybody could relate to, couldn't he? He would find something that everybody could say, oh, I know what he's talking about. So farming was an easy way to get them to pay attention to understand, wasn't it? You know, so a parable, you know, he uses agricultural themes, but it's still got a spiritual lesson, and that's why we have to discern about who the sower was. To me, when he was speaking, it was Jesus. He was the sower, but in 2023, anybody that's proclaiming the word is a sower, aren't they? We're sowers. If we're Christians, we believe in God. We're trying to tell other people about Jesus. We're the sowers, aren't we? You know, the seed, word of God. That's the thing about farming. In real life, sometimes you have bad seed, don't you? It just don't go well. But when it's the word of God, it's always the right seed, isn't it? So if something doesn't grow, it's not because of the seed in this parable, because the word of God is true through and through. The soil, here's the variable. There's always a variable in any equation, aren't there? Here's the variable. The soil is the hearers of the word. Again, everybody can hear the word of God, but not everybody responds in the same fashion, do they? We all listen to it. We all do different things, you know, so... Think about that as we're talking about, as we get into the soul, you know, the four souls as we break those down. But again, the hearers of the word is what we're talking about tonight. So verses 1 and 2 is just to get us started. It says he sat. A lot of teachers during this time period sat, didn't they? Your Sunday school teacher may sit. You may stand. I'm a nervous Nelly, so I'm usually, I'm just trying to be still tonight so you can keep up with me. But, you know, that was just common. He sat. He had to sit in a boat. There were so many people, he had to get in a boat to kind of get away, didn't he? The thing about water is, water is a natural amplifier, isn't it? If you get into a cove-like situation where it's kind of a U-shaped cove, your voice can carry the length of a football field. That's a long way, isn't it? That's over 100 yards. So he was so many people there, he needed to be able to be heard. best way to be heard was to back away, get in the water, not in the water, in the boat, <laughs> in the water, and then to speak. So what I'm going to do is I break these down. I'm going to read verse 4 again, but then I'm going to read 19. Because 19 through 23, Jesus is explaining to his disciples what he meant by this parable. He's explaining to them to make sure they understand it. So like 4 says, And he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and devoured them. When he explained it, he says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one, the devil, comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. If I'm a farmer, am I going to throw seed on a wood floor? How successful are you going to be? Ain't going to work. You don't put it on the path, do you? You don't put it where everybody walks. It's hard. I could take a tennis ball and bounce it up and hit the roof. I mean, you, it's not going to grow. Nothing good is going to happen. But 
That hardness is just like the heart of the person he's talking about with the hard soul, isn't it? Their heart is hardened. They do not want to hear anything about God. They don't hear anything about Jesus. They don't hear anything about faith. They don't hear anything about trust, the resurrection, church. Stay away from me. I don't want to hear it. Don't care for it. Think you're a bunch of crazy hypocrites. Stay away from me. We've all encountered people like that, haven't we? If you've tried to witness to more than one person in your lifetime, you've probably got at least one that just didn't want to hear it, did they? So that got me thinking. I said, me being a believer, it's hard for me to understand why they don't. So I said, what's some of the reasons why people don't or they reject God? So there's hundreds, thousands, whatever. But there's three main ones I'm going to focus on just for tonight's discussion. Number one, they just don't believe there's a God, period. There's no proof in their mind, there's no factual evidence that they can see that shows them that there's a God. He just don't exist. No matter if it's our God that we worship or any of the other gods, other people, they don't believe in a higher power. Just don't exist. Their second reason for not believing, and this is a hard one when you have to talk to someone, if there's this much evil in the world, there can't be a God. This God that you talk about love all the time, if he really exists, he wouldn't let the world be the way it is. That's a hard one to fight, isn't it? Because sometimes we don't understand exactly what all is going on. But that's one of the reasons. Second reason they reject God, they're mad at him. When I'm talking about the lost person here, but you know what? Christian, everybody in here is probably, we can get mad at God too, can't we? Right, wrong, or indifferent. Stuff happens in our life just like the lost person does, and we question, don't we? You know, if you've had a tragic event in your life, it could be a sickness or a death or whatever, you're going to blame somebody, aren't you? If a young child passes away, we question that, don't we? It's just normal. doesn't matter if it's our child or anybody else's child. We question it. And if this person, even if they prayed to God, I don't know if they're a believer or not a believer, if you pray to God and he still didn't fix what you thought he owed you, that's going to make you mad too, isn't it? Well, I prayed. If I was supposed to pray, he should have answered it and everything should have been fine. We as Christians know God doesn't work that way. But to someone who doesn't know God, that's just an excuse they can use, isn't it? I ask him in all earnesty, I took time out of my day to stop and pray, and he still just ignored me. Well, we know that's not true. But again, for an unbeliever, you know, that's how they think. Last one, I'm going to bring it up tonight. The third one, which I think is the biggest one of all, why people reject God, is pure old-fashioned pride. It's just pride. I am in control of my own life. I don't need anybody to tell me what to do. I don't need anybody to tell me how to act. I control me and nobody else does. I don't need another boss in the world. Met people like that before? Bible speaks a lot about pride, about how evil it is, how sinful it is. And I just wrote one down, Proverbs 16, 18. It says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Amen. It does, doesn't it? You know, the problem with 
We'll call it sinful pride is, when you get right down to it, we're wanting to be God, aren't we? We're wanting to be in control. We want to be our own God for our own life. We don't want the true God. We can handle it. Have you ever start to pray and you said, no, I ain't going to pray about this. I got this under control. One of the biggest lies you can tell yourself is, hey, I got this. I've got it under control. You may think you do. And to a degree, you might a little bit. But all in all, you really don't, do you? If we ain't got God's help, it ain't going to turn out the way it should, is it? It's going to fall short of what it should be. So, again, just three things. Again, there's hundreds. There's thousands of different things that people can, you know, not reject or reject God with. But I thought, you know, I like to watch people, observe people, watch how they speak, watch how they act, you know. You know, and I was at Appalachian, I was a business major. I took every psychology class I could because I just liked it. And so, you know, I just like to see how people think. And I'm a asker of questions. I want to, I'm the why person. Why do they do this? Why do they do that? So, you know, my problem is I don't have answers to how to handle these three groups of people. I mean, I know we can pray for them. We can be kind to them. And we've talked about that before. Going up to a stranger and just tell them they're lost and need to change, that ain't probably the first words they want to hear out of your mouth, is it? you got to build a relationship with that person, don't you? You know, we've worked with people. It could be a relative, but, you know, pray, pray, pray for that person. Be kind to them. Get that relationship going with them. Then you might be able to open them up and talk to them about Christ, can't you? You might be able to invite them to church, and they'd be more receptive. But, again, I wish I had a magic wand or I could just touch somebody and make them saved, make them accept Christ, but don't work that way. So, you know, we just have to know what we're fighting against when the devil's got a hold of somebody. The second one is the rocky ground. Verse 5 said, Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. So in verse 20 and 21, when Jesus is explaining, it says, As for that was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. We've all seen this person, haven't we? To me, this is a bad analogy. It's like watching a Jack Russell Terrier in a room full of turtles when they come to church. They're just, they're just all over the place, aren't they? They're volunteering for everything. They're excited. They're just moving. And you can, they're just almost out of control, aren't they? Because they've come to church or whatever. It was new to them. It was exciting to them. They thought, man, don't really know what this is, but I like it. It might have been the music played that day, Mike. It might have been the pastor's sermon, or it could have been the niceness of the people that they were around, but they found something they've never had before, and they like it. So, let me ask you this. Have you ever made a quick decision in your life, didn't think it through, didn't do any research, and just, boom, went for it? How'd that turn out for you? You know, I can think of one time I've done that recently, when I signed up to do this tonight, <laughs> I didn't think it through. <laughs> I should have took a little more time. <laughs> but, you know, I was, re I was reading some stuff. 80, again, 
you get stuff no matter what on the internet. 80 to 90% of the decisions we make in life are based off emotion. Here's your problem. The more emotional your reaction to something is, the less logic you're applying for that decision. That ain't gonna work out all the time well, is it? You know, <laughs> you know somebody says, I have that gut feeling, and I was reading today, those gut feelings can get you in trouble. You know, that's a gut feeling, you know. You do need some logic and things, don't you? You know, there is gonna be emotional responses to stuff, but you know, you need that gut feeling. This group of people, from the first time I read this scripture, getting ready to study, has bothered me. Because I'm thinking, I need to do more to help this person. We as a church, when I say we, just think I'm saying me. I'm never going to fuss at a church first. But think, what can we do for this? This person has shown that they are trying. They are making the initial effort, aren't they? But, like the scripture says, they have no root. If I have nothing to be grounded to, how can I survive persecution? I can't, can I? I'm just going to get blown away. And so that's why we, as mature Christians, this church or any church, we've got to take the time and remember, when that person comes up and professes faith, when that person gets baptized, that's not the end of their story. We check them off. Whoop, they're saved. Who's the next one? No, it's just beginning. They're just... Because in today's time, you know, when I was growing up in elementary school, probably 90, 95% of us went to church. The other 5%, even if they didn't go, they knew everything about church. They still knew about God, knew about Jesus. Today, it's not like that. That new person that comes in just may have been their first church experience ever. They found something nice, but they don't know anything really about the true Jesus. They don't know anything about the true God. That's where we as Christians, have to take them by the hand and guide them, don't we? Think about this. I thought about this as I was walking. Your first day, because everybody's had a job here most likely, right? Hopefully. Jackson, I know you hadn't. Your first day at work, did you do a perfect job? No. You didn't have a clue. Chance? That first day surveying, how'd that go? You just... You're just taking along what you're trying to learn. You have to learn. Anything in life, you have to learn. You golfers, you fishermen, did it just come natural? Well, I never played golf before. Oh, I shot a 69 the first time I ever played. No. Most of you are never going to break 100. You know, so that's just how it is. As Christians, we've got to take the time. There's some stuff we can do. Be a mentor to someone. You don't have to know them, you know. In my discipleship group, the three men I see every Saturday now, I didn't know a year ago, a year and a half ago, I didn't know who they existed, didn't know them. Doesn't matter. We study together now. We talk about life together, and it makes us stronger. So that's what we got to do. If that new person comes, we got to get them plugged in, as they say, don't we? We got to get them a discipleship group to be in. We've got to get them a Sunday school class to be active in. We've got to take the time to deal with them. And if we can't do any of that, at least pray for them. You know what? As we're praying for them, as we're mentoring them, show them how to pray. Because, again, if you're a new Christian, your prayer life probably ain't that great, is it? You may have begged God for something every now and then before you get saved, but that's, that's about it, isn't it? If you don't know the true God, if you're not in the Bible study, you don't know what the Bible says about things, 
you're not going to do it right, are you? You're going to be a little lack at what you do. So this person on the rocky soil, if you don't do stuff like that, they may keep coming. Like I said, it's the first time somebody, they may get on the social media and say, hey, I'm a Christian. They're all excited. Then all of a sudden the comments start coming. They're not all positive. And they go, oh, I thought once I was a Christian, God would make everything perfect for the rest of my life. And that's what some of them think, isn't it? They weren't expecting the negativity, you know. They weren't expecting their same old friends that they've hung out with and done questionable stuff on Saturday nights. They didn't accept God, so they don't care that, you know. Can you imagine them going out with their friends on a Saturday night and saying, hey, guys, it's 10 o'clock. Won't we all go back home early so we can go to church tomorrow? Those friends are going to dump them in a heartbeat. They're not going to put up with that, are they? Because they don't see what he's, this person's seeing. So, you know, we as Christians need to care about our fellow Christians. It can't be, it goes back to that pride thing. It can't be about us all the time. Take the time. We all think we're super busy, but we all have time to help someone. It's just if we want to or not, you know, want to put the effort through. So, you know, again, not fussing. Because I'm saying I need to do as much as anybody. But we do need to put more effort into when these people come forward, you know, putting our arm around us and, hey, let me help you. I guarantee you they'll be appreciative. Because, again, they're not going to build a root system if we don't help them. It's hard to learn all this stuff all by yourself, just like a job. You know, in the older days, I, mean, I know some people you probably did. They threw you in a job and said, go to it. You had to kind of learn on the go. But it goes a lot faster if you got someone there training you, don't you? you got someone faster if someone's sitting there training the right way to do stuff. Christianity is not any different. We need to be willing to help these people, you know, do the right thing. The third soil is the thorns in the soil. This one, it says, Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. As for... And then Jesus explains, as for what's sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. He's talking about two main things, cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. If you think about it, that covers every economical class of people they are. It goes from the poor person all the way to the rich person, doesn't it? There's no certain group that's worse off than others when it comes to cares of the world or wanting to attain riches. You know, they've got different motives, but still, you know, the cares of the world. That can affect us as Christians too, can it? Here's my question. I ain't going to make you raise your hand on this one since the pastor's here. <laughs> Who all has ever drifted off or daydreamed a little bit when the pastor's speaking on a Sunday? We all have had one. That's why he said he does it. He said, I'm preaching. I still do that. I thought, man, how do you do that? <laughs> I said, you're so good. You can just do it without even thinking about it. We all do, don't we? We all, let, we can let the cares of the world get the best of us, can't we? Because, again, we're Christians. But, again, God's not a genie in a bottle. Just because we're a Christian don't mean everything's going to be perfect every day. We got real-life struggles every day, don't we? Yours may be different than mine. Yours may be different than mine. But we all have struggles. You know, so no matter how long you've been a Christian, thorns can get in your soul, can't they? 
but it's what we do with them after they get in the soil what makes the difference. I almost, when I was thinking about what I was going to talk about tonight, I'm a worrywart, big time, which is shameful. But if you look at Matthew 6, not tonight, but if you're in your free time reading Matthew 6, there's a lot about worry in Matthew 6. You know, 24, kind of there through 33, it says, in 24, Matthew 6 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. That's your deceitfulness of riches, isn't it? You know, 25 through 32 in Matthew 6 talks more about the everyday needs. It talks about the birds. It's basically talking about food. It's talking about clothing. Those are basic needs, aren't they? You're thinking, well, I should be able to have the right to think about that. That is important. I need to eat and I need to have clothes on. But what it says in verse 33, very familiar passage, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. If we put God first, if he's number one on our priority list, the other stuff gets handled, doesn't it? He's not going to allow us to lack for food. We might not get to go eat at a fancy restaurant every night, but we'll have food. We may not have on designer clothes, but we'll have something to wear. I'm going to ask this. I'll ask for forgiveness before I even ask it. Any women in this room ever almost didn't come to church because you didn't have anything to wear? That's a serious thing to some people, isn't it? You know, I'm trying to think of all the times I heard my mama say that growing up. I mean, she wasn't a vain person, but I don't have anything to wear. Well, mama, of those 42 dresses, is there not one that will be appropriate for church? <laughs> That's what you want to have. And men can be just as bad. There's, you know, so, but anyway, you know, we have to put God first to keep the world from getting in. Because that's the devil's plan, isn't it? If I'm thinking about something going on in my life, I'm not thinking about God. And that's all he's trying to accomplish. Get our mind off of God, isn't it? If I'm thinking about having to, you know, work two shifts so I can afford groceries, or I'm thinking about maybe if I work on Sundays, I can make some extra money, I can buy that boat I want. If we're worrying about that, devil's got us he's happy isn't he he says man because you're not thinking about what you're not thinking about what does God want me to be thinking about what does God want me to be doing right now and we have to remember that you know Chris you may have Pastor Chris you may have mentioned this a week or two ago just in passing nothing major but you are talking about comparison maybe so I thought don't say anything else that's part of my thing don't say anything else. <laughs> stay away from that subject but there's two words I want to talk about just briefly that go with this comparison and contentment. One's a good word, <laughs> one's a bad word, isn't it? Comparison, is comparison necessarily bad? No, it don't have to be. You know, if you're comparing prices at the grocery store, I mean, that's just being smart, isn't it? If you're shopping for a car, you compare around, you just don't go to one place, oh, that's good, I'll take it. You know, comparison, but when we start comparing to other people, it becomes bad in a hurry, doesn't it? That's where comparison becomes, you know. Right here, you know, Chris has talked about the fruit of the spirits a lot. Now, here's the exact opposite. When we compare ourselves to others, it leads to resentment, 
discontentment, jealousy, envy, pain, greed, anger, bitterness, and even pride on the flesh. There's not one good word of that bunch, is it? It's all bad, and that's how we are. So, you know, we can't compare ourselves to others. That ain't what life's about, is it? We have to walk on our own. Our relationship, it says, we must realize our standard of measurement shouldn't be the attitudes and actions of others, but rather than the Word of God. The Word of God leads our life, isn't it? Not what other people are doing, and we have to remember that. Last one. Oh, contentment. True contentment isn't something we find in things or stuff, people, or even circumstances, but can only be discovered in our convictions. Us as Christians, what that means is we can only find contentment in Jesus and in striving to serve him. You need to remember that. Stuff will not give you happiness. Maybe momentarily. The world we see outside today, we think that's true, don't we? Oh, as long as i got this, as long as I've got that, you know. Why do you think lotteries sell so many tickets? I just had that extra money. My life would be so perfect. It won't. If you don't have God in your life, it ain't going to be perfect. You'll just have a different set of problems. And that's the problem. Problems don't go away. They just change, don't they? What the problem you had before about trying to have something to eat, now you got, you know, different problems. So just remember that. Our only contentment is going to be in Jesus. You know, like I said, our trust and our obedience has to be with God and to God. If we do that, we're good. All right. Fourth one, the good soul. Got a little better each time, haven't we? Now we're at the good soul. You know, it said other seeds fell on good soul and produced grain, some 100, some 60, and some 30. As for what was sown on good soul, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold and another 60 and another 30. All right. He says in 22, if we're going to be a true follower of Christ, you know, we're going to hear the word. The other three groups have heard the word too. But this group, I hear the word, I receive it, and I understand it. That's a crucial piece, isn't it? I receive it and I understand it. Another crucial piece, I keep it. That means I live it. Not only is it coming in, not only do I hear it and understand it, I'm living it. And that's a hard one. And the fourth thing, and what we got to remember is, a true Christian has to bear fruit, don't they? I can't say I'm a Christian and not bear fruit. If I've got zero fruit, i got zero salvation, so I look at it. You know, it says here 30 or 60 or, you know, 100. I did some stuff. I know when... Pastor Tad talked about this. He said two to three times. But something I read when I was studying this, it said the best in Jesus' time period, the best a farmer could expect was tenfold. So look at Jesus. He's talking about 30, 60. We all bear fruit, don't we? If we're, we all bear different fruits, don't we? We may not, not all do 100. But we're still bearing fruit. We're still doing what we're supposed to do, you know, and it says here, and we do so with a good heart by which no man naturally has. It's the work of God. We've got to remember that. I can't be a good person just on my own, can I? No matter how hard I try, you know, I just can't do the right thing all the time. And here's another thing to remember, which I kind of alluded to earlier. I can be the good soul, 
that I'm not impervious to thorns. I'm not impervious to stones in my garden, Emma. They pop up. Thorns will pop up in your garden. You'll have to pick rocks out of your garden. But we can't let those <clears throat> sidetrack us from our goal, can we? And that's the thing. A true gardener, why do you think they invented plows? Why do you have hoes? A good gardener just does, oh, there's a weed. I might as well just go ahead and burn my garden. No. You get rid of the weed, don't you? You keep on the going. And that's what we have to do as Christians. When the devil's throwing stuff at us, we go, no, you know, no, I got better things. I got God on my side. And we got to fight that battle and keep it going, don't we? And again, we got to help people with that. So, in closing, I want to say my takeaways, but no, I don't, I don't have takeaways. <laughs> Pastor Krista, <laughs> I was going to say, and my takeaways are, you know, our business is to sow the word, although not everyone's going to receive it. We can't save anyone on our own. I knew that, I guess, in my head, but I always thought, oh, it's up to me. But coming to Wilkesboro here and Pastor Chris, especially on Wednesday nights, he drilled that in our head, didn't we? We can only sow that seed. We just got to keep sowing, don't we? Keep sowing, keep sowing. You know, God will do the rest. And I think that's why it gets so frustrating sometimes when we do get that person that doesn't want to hear. The truth of God must take root in the heart, be cultivated, and be permitted to bear fruit. Again, discipleship. We've got to help each other. To bear fruit, it's going to be hard to bear all by yourself, isn't it? Just like a garden, you know, if you've got three or four people working in that same garden, it's probably going to look better, isn't it? Extra work, everybody's sharing. And also, three out of the four souls were not good, were they? Only the one, the good soul. That doesn't mean... 75% of the people are never going to get saved. You know, that's just, there's four groups. You know, if you think math, 25% each. But it does mean what Jesus is trying to say is a majority of the people are not going to accept the word, are they? The majority is going to say, no, I got something better. I just don't want to mess with it. You know, so we got to remember that and not get depressed, not get dejected because when we're talking to someone, they reject us. Keep praying for them. I may talk to somebody this week. Bill may talk to him the next week. Bill may talk to him the next week. And all of a sudden, when Bill's talking, it sinks in. It's a team effort. We're all going on. We're all wanting to be at the same place. So lastly, I'm going to read one scripture. Very familiar. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Two words I really want to think about. Disciples. It doesn't say make hanger-owners. It doesn't say make semi-Christians, does it? Make disciples. A disciple is a follower who is trying to basically imitate the master. That's what we have to do. We have to replicate, don't we? And the do that says teaching them to observe it doesn't say let them figure it out by themselves, does it? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. Just think if the disciples, as much as we give them a hard time, if they hadn't have done what he said right here 2,000 years ago, we wouldn't be sitting here, would we? Because they took those words, because they did what he said to do, they replicated. We're not going to be here but so many years on this earth. 
It's our job to have Christians come. We've got to train other Christians to be in our spot. And again, that's something different about Christianity than it is the job world. Most times, if you're in a real outside secular job, you don't want to train your next somebody that's going to take your place, do you? That's scary. <laughs> I ain't training them. They're smarter than me. They'll be, my, they'll be my boss in three years and they'll fire me. Not like that in Christianity. It's not like that in the church, is it? We want to train people. We want them to be even better. I want them to be able to witness 10 times better than I was. I want them to know the Bible 10 times better than I do. That way I know I've replicated, I've done what God has asked me to do. All right. Any questions? Thank you for not having questions. <laughs> <laughs> Thank y'all. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.